0: Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer R. Levin, and I'm a traumatic grief therapist and founder of Therapy Heals, where we help organizations and individuals prepare and heal from sudden or unexpected death. And in my podcast, Untethered, Healing the Pain from Sudden Death, I share resources and stories to help you go from the chaos of sudden or unexpected death to move towards healing in your life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death. I'm Dr. Jennifer Levin, and I specialize in traumatic death and helping individuals through the struggles, pain, trauma, and chaos of an unexpected death. In today's podcast interview, I interview Debbie Rosenfeld, who is a chaplain for Support 7, the nonprofit organization I featured in my previous podcast episode with Executive Director Shannon Sessions. Debbie is also an entrepreneur and has a diverse personal and professional history that she intentionally integrates into helping others empower their life. In today's interview, Debbie shares the story of her son's death by suicide which occurred approximately 13 years ago. She reflects back on her early traumatic grief experiences and the routine she developed to help her cope. Debbie also explores what she learned going through her son's journals, encourages others to talk about suicide, and identify how her son's death has changed her. Finally, Debbie shares the professional work she is engaged in to help others empower life. Hi, Debbie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you start off and tell us a little bit
1: about yourself? Mm, Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. It's very thoughtful. Um, So, gosh, um, my name's Debbie, (laughs) and um, I live in the Pacific Northwest. So I live in Edmonds, Washington, with my husband and son and uh gosh let's see what else can i tell you um i love life um i am a chaplain um for south county fire with under support seven um i am um my background has been in finance and i've worked in corporate america gosh for about 27 years um and um, I decided to move out of corporate and be um, my own business owner, my own, an entrepreneur. And um, I love working with business owners and leaders and CEOs when it comes to finance and being a business advisor and just, um, again, pa- empowering life, empowering business and all that we can do
0: Great. in this world,
1: yeah. Great.
0: So as I mentioned in my introduction, in our interview today, we're going to reflect together on the story of your son, uh, Kenny, on his uh, death by suicide, which occurred almost 15 years ago. And as you know, and we all know, grief has no timeline. But given the amount of years, you've had a chance to process, move towards some healing, and make a lot of decisions based on what's happened. Can you st- Give us a starting place and share how you found Kenny after he died. Yeah.
1: So um, we didn't find Kenny. We found out. Oh, okay. And so so what happened was um, it was on uh, December 20th, 2008, at five days before Christmas. Mm. And um, it had been snowing here. And so my husband and I decided that we were going to go out and do some Christmas shopping in the Bronco, because that could get around. Um, But also my other son, Brian, had called me up um, and asked if we would come pick him up. Um, So he, my other son, Brian, started, uh, opened a gym here in Edmonds, um, where we live. And um, we've been helping him with that. And so uh, his car didn't drive in the snow. So he said, Hey, Mom, could you come pick me up um, and take me to the gym? So I said, yeah, we'd be happy to. So we did that. And then, then we just went shopping afterwards and we told them we would come pick them up uh, right after we were done um, shopping. So around two o'clock or so. Um, and um, we did all our shopping. And then um, I called Brian on our way home and said, Hey, we're going to go home, drop everything off and then we'll come down and pick you up. Um, Cause the Bronco was full. And um, so, like 10 seconds later, Brian calls back and um, and says, hey, mom, the police are here asking for you. And I'm going, what, what? why am I in trouble or something? And um, I asked him, I said, did they tell you what they want? He said, no. And I said, OK, we'll be right down. So we're driving down and it's snowing. And I, I started thinking about Kenny. I said, you know what? I wonder if this is Kenny and Brian wanting to surprise me that Kenny came home um, for Christmas. So I called and left Kenny a voicemail said, Hey, Ken, this is mom thinking he'd pick up. He did not. Um, and so we get down to the gym and um, we get into the gym and how the gym was built. There's this one room um, with sliding glass doors, but it's all open ceiling. So, when we walk in, I'm looking around, looking for the police. I said, Brian, where's the police? And um, he said, oh, he's out there. So I'm going, oh, okay. So then the guy comes walking in and he decides to close all the doors. And I'm going, that's really strange. Um, and then he just looks at me and he says, um, are, you, are you Debbie Rosenfeld? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, um, do you have a son by the name of Ken Jones, who lives at 5433 North Pierce Lane in Prescott Valley, Arizona. I'm putting my hand over my heart right now because I'm feeling the emotion come up Um, because I remember that day so vividly. Um, Of course you do. And I said, uh, yes, I do. And then he looks at me and says, I am so sorry, but your son has committed suicide. And I look at him and and Todd and Brian and, and Brian's girlfriend, um, Kelsey was with us too. And I look at him and I said, how would you know? And I just look at, and I said, how would you know? Because Kenny lived in Arizona, we he lived here. And he looked at me and he just said, well, the Prescott Valley Police contacted us and asked us to reach out to you. And we were all in shock and, um, and just dismay. And we're looking at each other. Tears are coming down our eyes. And he says, what we can do is we can go home and uh, go to your home, and then I, we can call the Prescott Valley Police um, so then you can talk to them. So, um, I uh, okay, so we, Brian closes the gym down. We, um, get into, um, the Bronco and just head home in total dismay. And we drive in and, and the police officer comes in and I really don't remember what happened except that we called and I found out that Kenny died by suicide and that, um, a woman had found him, um, on the ground um, as she was looking, going to pick up her son. Right. And, um, that was eight 30 in the morning and this was two o'clock in the afternoon. And so that's how we, that, how we found out. And, and, um, and when the police left, you know, I had to, I talked to the police and I'm going, well, you told me that we would have to contact the medical examiner or the coroner or whatever. And, I'm going well? How do you do that? And how do you find out about a funeral home? And how do you do all this stuff? I mean, you're just in this this um, place of disarray and disbelief, and you feel like you're in a dream, and you have no idea what to do, or where to go, or um, and it's just like I just yeah it started processing and. Yeah, so that's how we found out.
0: Wow, I can only imagine what that must have been like.
1: Yeah, it, it was awful. Yeah, it was awful, and it was starting to snow, meaning like bucket loads of snow. And um, as we were processing, of and I think that was Saturday, and I think I don't, I don't even remember if talk. I talked to the coroner. I must have. Um, Because I said, well, how do I find a funeral home? And she says, well, we can't help you with that. Yeah. I'm going, what? How does someone do that from out of state? Anyway, it it all worked out. Um, Just calling a couple places and yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. What do you remember about the early phases of your traumatic grief?
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um the the discord, the disarray of feeling like I was in um this surreal dream, like I was waiting for somebody to wake me up. Hmm. And though it was also oh gosh, I, I, I had to call his dad. His dad lives down in Petaluma, California, and his stepmom, and so um, it was having to share the news with all my family members and I had to call my sister who lives here also um, close in Seattle and I had to call her and share with her and I said please don't tell mom and dad we are coming down but I need you to know just in case um, I just need you to be with them and I like a little while later, we went down and I had to share um, with them, but I wanted to do it in person. Yes. Um, because nothing is worse. I mean, I felt so bad for Bonnie and Brian, um, Kenny and Brian's stepdad, I mean, father and a stepmom over the phone. Yeah. And I couldn't be there with him. And Brian wasn't home. Brian is their dad. And, um, I said, Bonnie, I need you to, I need to talk to Brian. She says, well, he's not here. I said, I need you to talk to Brian. I need to talk to Brian and I need you to get him, please. Yeah. So telling people and then confusion.
0: Confusion.
1: Trying to figure out what happened. Um, and I must say, we were very blessed that Kenny left um, two letters. He had um, emailed them, but he it was in his email. And so Brian knew how to get into there because the previous June, evidently Kenny had emailed Brian this information, but he didn't tell me.
0: What information was that?
1: Passwords.
0: Oh. So you had access to all of that, or Brian did?
1: Well, Brian did, but he didn't really know hmm. until this happened. Hmm. Well,
0: that was lucky that you had all of that. I know some people really struggle with the inability to access information that could be so vital at this time.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I say we were very blessed. Kenny was very, very thoughtful. And I'm not just saying in this incident, that's Kenny. Hmm. Throughout his life, he was very thoughtful, very kind, very loving. And he took care of everybody. That was Kenny. He even took care of himself by he wore his flannel pajamas. He made sure he was warm when he went outside. He made sure to put a little post-it on his um, driver's license and gave Brian's name and phone number, put it in a plastic bag and stuck it in his pocket. He had his slippers on. Hmm. It was like Kenny. I mean, the thought process that he went through, it was about taking care of everybody else as well as taking care of himself.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and the question that has always gone through my mind is the police had Brian's information. But they reached out to me and to this day I still don't know how they knew to call me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Yeah, it was very. What were some of the things that helped you process, cope, and and just be with your grief after Kenny died?
1: First off was um family okay we had each other um i was in um a senior management position so i immediately just called the owner and i told him what had happened and i would not be in um we had to figure out how to get to arizona with all this snow Mm -hmm. because flights weren't going out or we couldn't get a flight out Mm -hmm. um I knew that day that I could not run from my feelings. I actually, <clears throat> excuse me, I actually pulled out my gratitude journal and wrote in there how grateful I was for the 30 years that I had. And I, I had to do that because I knew in my heart, i could easily go down the dark path Mm. like i could go deep down into depression and and i couldn't i I don't know how i would have functioned if i didn't write in my gratitude journal and so but then also i had brian here i had todd i had family reaching out Mm. um now by all means i actually that same day i had a neighbor come over and bring me some flowers and a card and just share with me how sorry she was Mm -hmm. and what when she left is i said i don't want these effing flowers i don't want this card i want my son back yeah so my neighbor was being very thoughtful but that's not what i wanted.
0: that's
1: <laughs> not. and um and so it was allowing myself to talk to people, my friends. um i mean people were very generous. call me anytime. my uh, one of my very dear friends brought meals over, like soup, just comforting food. Mm-hmm. um crying and uh it was it took us a good month to get everything together because we had to figure out how to get out of here it wasn't until um december 23rd that we got out of here and we ended up going by train my husband came up with that idea um we took the train down to sacramento my aunt and uncle picked us up to take us to the airport So it's all this different support that I had around me. um, And then just allowing myself to grieve and process. But once things settled down a bit, I had my routine, which prior to Kenny's death, I would get up in the morning, take my vitamins, go train with a trainer, work out, come home, get ready for work and go. Well, I did up to coming home, taking a shower, and then I spent literally an hour to two hours like either reading, journaling, crying, processing, reading Kenny's letters, reading his journals, mm-hmm. just to allow myself to process. It was like preparing for my day. And what I know today is I was being in the spirit of allowing myself to be in grief, which allowed me to prepare for my day so I could go do the doing. And by all means, when I say doing, I was definitely non-functional. I thought I could, but what going to work did for me is it got me out of the house it got me away from having to be with my grief 24 7. i needed to get out of here
0: set back into some
1: normalcy exactly and then and i i shortened my day i mean i got to work by 10 i left by four because i couldn't do anymore i would come home and I would sit and do nothing. And there were times that my body literally would shut down and say, sorry, I'm not going to let you do anymore. You're
0: done. It sounds like you really listened to that.
1: I had to. I had to.
0: Yeah. yeah. Looking back, um, did you identify any red flags? after Kenny's death or any clues as to what (laughs) may
1: happen? Well, I shared one of them, and that was that Kenny had sent Brian all his passwords, and I said, Brian, why didn't you say anything? Hmm. I didn't know, Mom. I said, but that's a sign right there. And then another thing, um... Well, the journal said a lot more. He, in one of his journals, he had shared that that back in June, he was at a park and he was wanting to do it then. But then he went into the, mm -hmm, he went into his head and said, What will mom say? Mom will think, well, what's wrong with you? You've got a house and you've got a job and all that. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. Oh, Kenny, I'm so sorry that Mm. that's what you were thinking about, of what would mom think? Mm. Because he never reached out to anybody, any of us, to say this is what was going through his mind. In one of his journals, he also said, He was wondering if he should be on some kind of medication because his highs were so high and his lows were so low. And then another sign was the previous year um, from June of 2007 till February of 2008, he went silent on us. And um, I had planned to go down to Arizona in June of 2007. And because Kenny and I had talked about it made those arrangements, but he had called like in March and said, Hey, Mom, can we do it next year?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I said, Sure, Ken, whatever you want, but not thinking he was going to go silent on us. And so I would reach out to him in emails and let him know I would call and leave him voicemails, but he wouldn't call back. But it wasn't just me. He did this with everybody, Mm -hmm. even his close friends, because we found emails from his friends reaching out to him, saying, hey, Ken, what's going on? We even had, um, I was going to go down in November of 2007, and we all decided as a family it would be better for Brian to go down. And so Brian went down, and Brian just hung out with Kenny, but it was like he was honoring Kenny, because he wasn't reporting back of what was going on until he came back. So, um, so yeah, there were signs, but that we were able to identify after the fact.
0: When you saw those, you know, reflecting back, um, how did that help you process, um, What did that do for you?
1: It helped me understand, but I was really, really, really sad Mm. for Kenny. And it was sad for Kenny because of how miserable he felt and it came what came to mind for me was who am i to ask my son or anyone for that matter to stay Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i mean as i shared earlier kenny took care of himself Yet, that was Kenny's answer. It wasn't my answer.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I wish he would have reached out to us. And not that we could have fixed it, I know that. Mm-hmm. But we could have done everything we in our power to get him help.
0: Mm-hmm. That's gotta be the hardest thing to know. Your child was suffering. Yes. didn't know, and maybe you
1: could have helped. Something. Yeah. Something Because I knew I couldn't make it go away, but I could have guided him. And I also, though, know I'm mom. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the things that you've learned about suicide that you think it's important for other people to know, given your experiences?
1: Talk about it talk about suicide in what way so yeah so i um i used to listen to cairo back in the day when ron and don were on and they had a gentleman on the phone um who was talking about yeah well it's local here in the Seattle area, but this was way back in 2010, 2011. And they had somebody on, and I called, I called in. Mm. Just that conversation brings me tears. Just to tell people, let people know that they matter, mm. they are loved. And there are people here to help. It's not to fix it, because we can't fix. There's nothing to fix in somebody, but they think that inside. And so having a conversation out into the world, and it's not about giving a 1 800 number. It's about having a little comfort, literally a conversation. Let's talk about suicide. What is the impact of not talking about it, because there are a lot of people out in the world that are thinking about it. And they're afraid to talk to somebody about it. And I was actually on a a Facebook live with a couple of gals who um, coach and serve teenagers. And it's about serving um, the parents of kids who go to school, and I was on it to talk about suicide but just to have the conversation, to open up the doors so parents and kids could come together to have a conversation. And it was a beautiful time because what happened was that a mom reached out to both of them and shared her story of how her child, her son, was talking about suicide at nine years old And she didn't know what to say or even do and i said just talk about it if he's coming to you and talking saying he wants to die sit down and talk with him Mm. that that week after that's exactly what happened she sat down with her son and they talked about it and she reported back to these two gals and it was such i can't tell you just hearing that from one person that they were able to talk with their child so it's like when we can just talk about well what does why what what is it that's hurting that you want to just die Mm -hmm. and it's not to fix it but just to have the conversation that's uh, that's what i want uh, and i've learned let's have that conversation, which we think is taboo, but it's not. It's actually happening. We know that in our work. We see it, we hear about it. Yeah. So if we can make it a safer conversation, I think that would do our world so good.
0: I couldn't agree more. Yeah. How did your son's death change your relationship with the rest of your family?
1: Hmm. great question. First, after 90 days, my husband said, when am I going to get the old Debbie back? And I looked at him and I said, never. The old Debbie is dead. She died with Kenny. And I think what he was actually saying is, "When am I going to have Debbie back—the the Debbie that I knew?" And I said, "She's not.
0: She's not coming back."
1: Mm-mm. Um, it was really, um i became more forthright with my family um so kenny um we knew this before he died but kenny um came out to me in 2002 that he was gay and um and one of the questions that he asked me when he you know came out and i said well first off i already knew um but he came out and he said mom are you mad and i said kenny why would i be mad And he said well dad was and i said i'm not your father um i said kenny since you were a little guy i've told you and your brother i will love you always no matter what i said just please don't be an axe murderer and it was meant to be funny, but I just, I, I wanted to lighten it, to let him know that he was well-loved. And so my father, my, my parents didn't know because Kenny didn't share that with him. And the reason he didn't share that with him is he didn't want to jeopardize his relationship. He adored his grandparents. He loved them dearly, and he wasn't going to do anything to jeopardize because we, the kids grew up with a grandfather who was very prejudiced. And, and so I was forthright with my father and saying, cause my dad did ask me, I wonder if Kenny, you know, is gay. And I said, well, it's Kenny would need to share that with you. Not I dad, well, Kenny never did. And so. I was forthright with dad and said and dad I want you to know that Kenny was gay and he was afraid of losing his love your love from him if he shared that with you mm-hmm. so more I was I have been more forthright and uh, and honest <laughs> Don't hold back.
0: Yeah. How did your son's death impact your relationship with, with life and even with yeah. direction in your life?
1: Yeah. <sighs> it's, a, it's a really good question because it impacted it tremendously. Like, Kenny was my first son. Mm. I experienced first with him with everything. Um, But when I was going back to work, I had to go back to work my first day, I wrote on a post-it, and I still have it to this day, follow your heart. I worked in corporate America. I was someone that would go 110 miles an hour and uh, get out of my way. (laughs) nothing would stop me what it changed is to have more um, It softened life and uh, there was no longer 110 miles an hour because there couldn't be Um, there was no more get out of my way Mm -hmm. Um, there was more if you will say understanding compassion I didn't have the energy for fluff I didn't um, I no longer wanted anyone to ask me the question or talk to me about the weather I wanted deeper conversation Um, I wanted to really know and about life I've it was like and also what I was noticing that God was putting more people in my life that just needed support with grief. So as simple as when I was having to fly down to San Diego for work, we were waiting for one last passenger and they were going to be sitting next to me. And it was a woman who just lost her grandfather. And she shared that with me. And I just sat through the whole airplane ride and just started asking her questions about her grandfather and about life and what was her favorite memory. And she just shined. Wow yeah and I see life from a whole new perspective and uh, life is definitely different I've gotten out of corporate America corporate America does not serve people who have been through grief Um, there needs to be more support yeah. Um, in corporate America, when it comes to grief, challenges, anything for self care, for self care.
0: Yeah. But everything you had to say about, you know, don't want to talk about the weather, or the fluff, all of that deeper conversations. I find so many of my clients are right where you are. They just yeah. don't mind the little stuff anymore. Yeah. It's all about what's important, not wanting to do the shoulds. Yes. No more time for the shoulds in life. It's just yeah. things that really bring value and pleasure. Yeah, have well, meaning is probably yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know you're very passionate about a concept that you've described of empowering life. Yeah, uh, can you share more about that?
1: Yeah. So, yes, and. It's about loving life, empowering others when it comes to life and um, how, if you will, what I noticed, how that has come more to the forefront for me is in my work with support seven and work and serving um, our community as a chaplain on the worst day of somebody's life. And that actually came to be because I would have loved to have had a chaplain. And um, so how can I make it easier? But what's happened is over the four years that I've served, it's been about four, yeah, since 2019, started this journey. um, It got really hard for, difficult for me to serve. Um, and I just noticed a change in myself and I don't know what happened, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, that shifted that, but it did. And I'm between the time of my last time I was on call till today, I have come more alive in noticing how I truly appreciate and love helping people empower their life. And to show them what's possible when someone's struggling, Mm -hmm. and it shows up in my work as in my grief work, but it also shows up in my work as I work with business owners on their finances, because they feel really drained by that. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, no, all is good. Let me share with you how you can see it differently. It will just make life a lot easier. And I see that as empowering life. And so it's um, I'm working right now um, with a colleague on um, this concept, call it the path of grace. And it's helping people empower people's lives to show them how they can take care of themselves through grief, through their grief, through their loss, or if it's just a challenge, it's a major challenge that that we have. But when we can take care of ourselves first, it will allow us to be in the doing of what we need to do. And I see that as lifting people up and empowering life. Yeah.
0: What a great. Bring life.
1: more to life. Yeah.
0: So needed. What a great. Yeah. Life. Yeah. So let me ask you, what's your grief like now, fifteen years later? And does Kenny have a presence in your life? Yeah.
1: So, yes, Kenny has a presence in my life. He's, his energy is around, um, and grief still shows up. So, a couple of things. Um, when we had to, we had to go down to Arizona. First off to, you know, take care of business with Kenny, but then we had to go back down because he had a home. It was his own home and all his belongings. We had to pack it up and bring it up here. A lot of stuff. So having to go through that stuff feels number one, very violating, like I'm going through my son's personal things, but we had to take care of it. And so over the course of the years, I've gotten rid of stuff, right? But there are certain things I cannot get rid of. Mm-hmm. There was this Tide bottle on his wash machine that I brought with me. And I used the soap. Well, I don't use Tide, I don't have Tide. I have a Tide bottle in my laundry room. That reminds me of Kenny. And it may be what others think is a silly thing It is silly, but it means the world to me. Nothing silly about that. (laughs) So when I open up my laundry, the cabinet, it's up there in the corner, but I still see it and it just makes me smile. Mm. And, And then I have some clothes. That um, in a plastic bag upstairs Mm -hmm. that are still his, that I'm not quite able to let go of. So it's like I just can't.
0: Okay.
1: I just can't. So His presence is around. The memory's still there. I don't dwell on it. Yeah. But I have little reminders. And then I think of him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And we talk
1: to him. We talk to him as well.
0: Good for you. Yeah.
1: Let me ask you one final
0: question. What advice would you give to a parent or parents who have just recently experienced the death of a a child or an older child to suicide? What would you tell them? So just starting off this difficult, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not so much advice, but a guide, if you will. Just to allow yourself to grieve. Don't listen to the world.
0: Mm. I love that.
1: There aren't any shoulds. (coughs) Excuse me. And just be with your grief and do what you need to to take care of you. Seek a grief counselor that resonates with you. It's so important. Talk to somebody that has been through what you've just been through. I cannot tell you how helpful it was for me, and I know it is for other parents who have experienced suicide, when you can talk to somebody that has been through what you've been through we get each other. And we don't even have to say anything. Yeah. We just get each other. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.
0: Thank you for going back and reflecting and opening that up again today. And yeah. you know, after 15 years, I can tell there's so much. That you've gained and like you said, you love life. And I think that's so wonderful and hopeful to see, but there's still those moments of tenderness and grief that's still there.
1: Very much so. Very much so.
0: Thank you for sharing that with us too. You're welcome.
1: Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. Appreciate it.
0: I'm extremely grateful for the insight Debbie provided us today and for her willingness to share her perspectives about suicide and grief after losing or living with her son's absence for the last 13 years. She continues to grieve and heal by providing spiritual direction to others as a chaplain, and in her business, working with others by empowering leaders who are grieving in their own life. In listening to Debbie's early grief responses, I was encouraged to hear her describe such an acute level of self-awareness that she used to guide herself through the pain and grief of Kenny's death. For example, after learning of his loss, Debbie stated that she had to rely on gratitude in the beginning for the time that she had with her son as a protective measure for getting lost from getting lost in a spiral of depression and despair. She also remembers acknowledging that she could not run from her grief, but instead needed to experience the pain despite the difficult feelings that went along with it. Debbie also shared the grief routine that she developed and utilized to help cope with her grief after her son's suicide. I highly recommend creating and using a routine and a sense of structure after an unexpected death to my clients because their world has been turned upside down and inside out. A routine and structure can be so helpful in bringing a sense of normalcy, predictability, and a sense of order to a very chaotic time in someone's life. In her routine, Debbie engaged in both restorative and grief-related activities, and she listened to her body, she shortened her day at work, she talked about how she read books about grief, and just learned to sit with her feelings. When our interview transitioned to the topic of suicide itself, Debbie shared how Kenny's journals helped her process what had actually happened. Many people who experience an unexpected death of a loved one to suicide are left with so many unanswered questions and spend a significant amount of time after the suicide trying to look for signs or answers to understand the reason why their loved one decided to end their life. They often search for what they may have missed or blame themselves for things they believe could have been done differently in hopes of a different outcome. Today, Debbie described how Kenny's journals provided her with some answers and insights regarding his mental health and general state of mind. And this information did facilitate some of her healing. Not everyone is lucky enough or is fortunate to have journals And she reflected on some of the information she learned, such as Kenny's decision to send the passwords to his brothers, what it was like to read through his journals, to learn about his previous suicidal thoughts. We also heard the sadness she experienced as a mother who connected to the deep pain that her son chose to keep to himself. The sudden death of a loved one changes us to the core, and the suicide death of Debbie's son altered the way she lived her life and interacted with others. During our time together, she acknowledged that she no longer holds back, is more forthright, straightforward, and honest in her communication with others. She also lives her life differently, as evident by the way she described a slower pace in her work and the increased level of compassion, understanding, and empathy she now has for others and especially those in pain. She's able to see life from a new perspective, which helps her in her professional work and in providing spiritual guidance to others. And as Debbie described it, she comes alive and continues healing when helping others empower their life. Whether they are struggling with grief, finances, or business struggles, she's able to provide them with a fresh new way of looking at things. She excels in developing ways to lift people up during grief and take care of themselves to empower life. I wanna thank Debbie for her time today, for sharing Kenny's story, how she coped with her traumatic grief, her insights related to suicide, looking back after 13 years of grieving and growing and healing and allowing us to process this together. If you would like to connect with Debbie, please join our Facebook group talking about the podcast Untethered with Dr. Levin. You can also learn more about her and her consulting business, working with leaders who've experienced intense loss and sorrow. Our next two podcast episodes are also related to suicide in honor of Suicide Prevention Month. On September 7th, Joy and Richard participate in an emotional interview about their experience after their daughter, Syrah, ended her life by suicide, approximately three years ago. And then on September 26, their other daughters, Leah and Taya, share their grief experiences and how Cyrus's suicide impacted the entire family. Both interviews are so powerful and moving, and they illustrate the intense impact suicide has on an entire family, and also the incredible power love has in healing. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Untethered, healing the pain after a sudden death. To learn more about hope and guidance after a sudden or unexpected death, please visit therapyheals.com to sign up for my monthly newsletter, Guidance in Grief at www.therapyheals.com. Bye for now. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. For guidance and hope with unexpected or sudden death, please visit my website www.therapyheals.com to learn more about the services we offer. If you would like to share your story on our podcast in service of helping others heal after a sudden or unexpected death, please email us at info at therapyheals.com.